We turn in God's holy word this evening to Psalm 111. And we consider this psalm as the text this evening. Psalm 111. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, just a little background to this sermon. One of our occasions of family visitation, and this is some time ago, our elders received a request by a daughter of the congregation, probably a fifth or sixth grader at the time, and the request was for a sermon sermon on God's many blessings. Blessings in our lives and how we should count those blessings. So at the time I was struck by the versification of Psalm 111 that we just sang His saints delight to search and trace his mighty works in wondrous ways. So I decided to preach from this psalm, 111. The psalms, as you know, are precious to us. And they're precious to us as the personal expression of our own experience as children of God. They touch every aspect of our lives. They're inspired by God to serve as the church's songbook in expressing our praise to him and calling upon him in prayer and pouring out our hearts before him, all the while laying hold by faith on the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is prominently revealed in these psalms. But there are also 
many unique features in the Psalms, one of which is found in the particular structure of a few Psalms in particular. There are Psalms which are structured poetically around the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. One of them, Psalm 119, is quite familiar to us that way because there are 22 sections of that psalm with each verse in each section beginning with the particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet which shapes that particular section. So the heading of Psalm 119 with every eight verses is the particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet with which each verse begins. Well, there are two other psalms, Psalm 111 and 112, that are also acrostic psalms, not where every section or verse begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In these psalms, every line within each verse begins with those successive letters. Not only is the orderly nature of God revealed that way, but the main idea in those Psalms is that every aspect of our life is covered completely. The given subject is covered from A to Z, or to use the, the Hebrew alphabet, from Aleph to Tau. Psalm 111 calls our attention to the great works of Jehovah, and that his works are the main subject of the psalm is evident from the many references to those works and the fact that verse 4 tells us, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. So we consider this psalm under the theme, the great works of the Lord, noticing first of all the greatness of those works, secondly the divine purpose in those works, and finally the resulting praise as we meditate on those works. And I think you're going to see also this evening, though that wasn't my intention for selecting this text, you're going to see a close connection to what we heard this morning in connection with Lord's Day 10. So we consider the great works of the Lord. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Do you reflect upon the greatness of the Lord's works? Whether you give attention to the perfect design of those works or the vastness of the number of those works. All the works of the Lord are great. We give thought occasionally to Psalm 139 and to the conception and development of the child in the womb as is revealed in that psalm. And some of you have received infants into your home quite recently. 
No matter whether it was your first or the most recent of several children, you cannot help but be awestruck at the greatness of God's handiwork in the conception and development in the womb and birth of that child. So we are often reminded of the vast complexity of the human body about which doctors are still discovering certain connections and effects of one part of the body upon another. And there are multitudes of conditions for which they have no answers. The fact that you are here this evening, breathing normally, heart beating regularly, belongs to God's handiwork. Do you think about that? Do you thank him? When the body is functioning in a healthy state, how often don't we just take our health for granted? Do you thank God, boys and girls, that you can run? That you can hear mom and dad when they speak to you? You thank God? Do you thank God that your mind is able to think and understand your teachers? Do you thank God for those great works of God in you? The psalmist would, re would remind us that the Lord's work is honorable and glorious that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, even in providing for our daily needs. Sometimes he gives us affliction to remind us of the amazing nature of our, of our bodies and how dependent we are upon him in everything. But even in affliction, whether in youth or that which invariably affects us as we age, God reminds us he is at work. He is at work. Even affliction is for our profit. In fact, as we are told in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, our affliction works for us. God is at work through our affliction. And Psalm 111 reminds us that those works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. We can recount his works in creation, in every aspect of this immense universe. You parents find joy in those little projects that your children bring home from school during the school year. You delight in their little accomplishments. But with God, even those things that are not noticeable to us, or which we simply ignore, are all part of his eternal purpose to glorify himself. They're works in which he rejoices, which are perfect and which reflect the, the infinite greatness and glory of his own being. 
The scriptures often call attention to the great works of God that we so thanklessly take for granted or pay no attention to. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, we read in Proverbs 6, verse 6. Consider her ways and be wise. Even when God makes a little thing, his work is great. Because of the infinite wisdom displayed in that work and the purpose that his work serves. That's why in science class you, you sometimes look at things under a microscope, don't you? God needed no microscope to see those creatures. He didn't need special instruments to create those tiny creatures. His works are great because none is greater than he. Repeatedly, the Psalms point to the stars, God's handiwork, which he not only created, but numbers and names. The greatness of his works in the heavens stands before us as a testimony of the greatness of his works in gathering a church in Jesus Christ, fulfilling the promise given to Abraham and his seed, that his seed would be as many as the stars in the heavens for multitude. Do you thank God for the glimpses that he gives us of the greatness of his work? Do you count those blessings? You might notice that the psalm doesn't even spell out those works of God. Doesn't specifically define them. It simply refers to the works of God in the plural. And let's remember, though we don't see it, in the Hebrew language, the psalm addresses the ABCs of the great works of God, everything from the beginning to the end of the alphabet. He speaks of his wonderful works and refers to the power of his works. The inspired psalmist speaks of those works as the works of God's hands. Everything he does is great and sought out by those who have pleasure therein because everything that God does tells us something about him. Those great works of God all reflect his own glory and greatness. I think of Isaiah chapter 40, beautiful chapter in the Bible, where in verses 25 through 28, we have the revelation of our transcendent God. Do you young people remember what that word transcendent means from your essentials catechism class? Transcendence speaks of God being infinitely exalted above all things so that there can be no real comparisons between God and the creature. There's a huge chasm 
between God and the creature that we cannot possibly cross over. God alone rules over all things. God alone watches everything. God alone governs everything and accomplishes his purpose in all that takes place as we considered this morning from Scripture. But in Psalm 111, we are brought face to face with another wonderful truth concerning God. Not only is he transcendent, he's also imminent. Now it's good for you to know those theological terms. Transcendent, infinitely exalted above his creation, but also imminent. That means he's right here. He's everywhere, all the time. God is over all, God bless forever, and he's right here, involved in your life and mine. He's not an unknown, scary God. He's not one far off in space somewhere. And we have to try to get his attention and and do good works for him to take note of us and to save us. No, no. He's involved right here in your life and mine. He's planned our lives in perfect wisdom. He's working every day and every moment and bringing about everything that he has planned to a particular end that we might know the fullness of our salvation and the greatness of his work in saving us in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my second main point. The divine purpose in those great works of the Lord is also revealed in the psalm as a matter of gospel emphasis. We find it especially in the last part of verse 5. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. And verse 9, he sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. How wonderful. How important this truth is to us. After all, we are a people stricken with amnesia. And amnesia is forgetfulness of the worst sort. We stand before these great works of God every day. We see them, many of them, with our physical eyes. And yet, for the most part, we're blind to them, aren't we? We so quickly can complain about our circumstances, about the pathway in which God leads us, about about those people with whom we have to interact. And we're blinded to the great works of God that surround us continually. Even in the way he leads us. Not only that, we're blinded to our own blindness. 
He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered, not admired for a moment and then forgotten. To be remembered. The great works of God ought to captivate us with amazement and thankfulness. We ought to be overwhelmed with the glory of of God, counting every blessing that is ours. But we often act as if we're bored in his presence. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness. For our offense against God, that is our lack of gratitude. Our failure to count his many blessings in our lives and to stand in awe before him. And Jehovah is indeed gracious and full of compassion. He has established his covenant with us. And we are led now to the heart of the gospel. The very life of this great and glorious God with whom we now stand in a relationship that compels us to praise him. The covenant is that intimate and personal relationship found within the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But most often when we come across that term in the Bible, as in this psalm, the reference is to the relationship that God has established with us, his people, in Christ. The covenant of grace. It's the covenant, therefore, first established with his only begotten son and with those who are in him by sovereign election. Christ is the head of the covenant. He signs, seals, and ratifies that covenant with his own precious blood, cleansing us, sanctifying us, reconciling us unto God, and making us, therefore, partakers of that most intimate fellowship of God's own life. You stand in awe before that great work of the Lord, Mind you, he reveals himself through this psalm as Jehovah, the name by which he stands before us as our Savior, the one who's unchangeably faithful to his covenant. The realization of that covenant doesn't depend upon us. Verse 9 tells us he has commanded his covenant forever. He established it as an everlasting covenant, and he upholds it in unbending faithfulness. As he said in Judges 2 verse 1, I will never break my covenant with you. He's ever mindful of his covenant. We read in verse 5. Think of it in terms of marriage. That covenant relationship that God has given his people to mirror that relationship between Christ and the church. We husbands, sinful as we are, sometimes are forgetful of our wives 
and of our calling within that covenant relationship to love them, to give ourselves for them as Christ loved the church. God is ever mindful of his covenant. He never forgets us. Yes, he sent redemption to us. He accomplishes his purpose in your life and mine until we partake of the complete joy of that redemption. Do you stand in awe before this greatest of God's works, the salvation of, of those who have only offended him? Do you have pleasure in this gospel? But in this psalm, we also stand before the wonder that everything must serve the accomplishment of that salvation in the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. The outworking of God's providence serves the salvation of his people and serves you and me in his everlasting covenant of grace. Take a look, for example, at verses 5 and 6, and notice the connection made between those great works of God and the purpose that is accomplished in the salvation of his people. That he has given meat unto those who fear him is explained in the second half of verse 5 with the words, he will be ever mindful of his covenant. That he has given meat to those who fear him is likely a reference to the children of Israel and God's faithful care for them during their history in the wilderness. Psalm 78 recounts the Lord opening the doors of heaven and raining down upon them manna. And we read there in verse 25 of Psalm 78, Man did eat angels' food. He gave them meat to the full. Well, so he does today, providing for us every day. Do you thank him, boys and girls, for the, the food on your tables? God gave you that food, didn't he? Does mother usually prepare that food for you? Do you thank God for mother? But if verse 5 refers, first of all, to God's provision of manna, we do well to remember in the light of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, manna was also spiritual meat for the children of Israel, for God's people. It was provision for them, not just physically, but spiritually. So how does God give us spiritual meat today? You boys and girls know the answer to that, don't you? God gave us his word. He gives us spiritual meat by his gospel. His word is nourishment for our souls, isn't it? That's why we find it so important to come to church twice on the Lord's Day. Because we're hungry, 
spiritually. Do you thank God for his word? For the opportunity to hear that word preached from week to week? Now notice verse 6. He has showed his people the power of his works. To what end? That he might give them the heritage of the heathen. All the Lord's works show his faithfulness. He's given us his word. But he's also proven the truthfulness of what he has promised by the greatness of his works, all which demonstrate his faithfulness in doing what he has said. So God's word unfolds God's covenant faithfulness throughout history. Do you seek out those great works of the Lord? That he might give us the heritage of the heathen. Who's in charge? Doesn't it seem sometimes that the most ungodly people in the world are in charge? We have a president, for example, who openly promotes the murder of unborn children. And that's the majority of those who rule in our country. Who's in charge? Doesn't it seem that the church's place in the world becomes smaller and smaller? There are members in, of God's church in other countries who aren't work, worshiping openly in freedom, such as we are today, because they face persecution, imprisonment, even death for their faith. Doesn't it seem like the ungodly, even the devil himself, is in control? No, this psalm reminds us to look to God and his great works. Look at them in history. He's the God who has taken all history and pressed it into the service of his church. Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Who's in charge? God has never taken his eyes off his people. And what's true of the church as the body of Christ is also true of you and me as members of that church. God is at work in your life and mine. Through, through every event, every trial, every place we occupy, every joy we experience, and every sorrow. 
God is at work. In the process of time, he is working all things to accomplish our salvation and to give us the heritage of those who fear his name. That's why he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. He's gracious and full of compassion. Let's count our blessings, shall we? Finally, when we consider the greatness of God's works and his purpose and all that he does, we're brought back to the bookends of the psalm, as it were, in the first and last verses. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The psalm opens with a call to praise and the psalmist's own confession of his desire to extol the greatness of our God in congregational worship. We can't overlook the fact that the inspired psalmist speaks particularly about those who praise the Lord for the greatness of his works. We saw it already in verse 2. The works of the Lord are great. Now notice, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. How is it that we have pleasure in the works of the Lord? The psalm explains a little later when it says in verse 6, He hath showed... His people, the power of his works. And verse 9, and here's the key. He sent redemption unto his people. Because we are his, we stand in awe before his works. Because seeing his works, we see the glory of the God of our salvation. So the psalmist concludes, his praise endureth forever. When you stand in awe before God and the greatness of those works of our faithful covenant God, you're going to praise him, aren't you? We want to sing to him, don't we? But the expression of that praise is not found only in congregational singing, though that's a call issued in the first verse. The last verse of this chapter points out that our praise of Jehovah also comes to expression by how we live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Wisdom is not just knowledge, not even deep theological knowledge. Wisdom, as scripture speaks of the concept here, is certainly far more than common sense. Wisdom is what comes to expression in practical living, in godliness. And that's because wisdom is really applying the, uh, it's the life of Christ coming to expression by laying hold of his word and applying it. It's doing the will of God from, it, from the heart as an act of the will. 
The idea, therefore, is really explained in the second part of the tenth verse. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. Now, you might notice in our English version, his commandments is in italics. That expression is in italics, which means that the King James translators added those words as the object of the sentence. That's correct so long as we remember that his commandments are not limited to the Ten Commandments, but rather refer to all God's Word. A good understanding have all they that do his will, that apply his doctrine to their lives. Verse 7 also refers to his commandments. There, the term refers to God's precepts, the instructions that he gives his people. And they are said to be sure. They are sure because they are established in the truth and righteousness of his perfect being. And for that reason, you must understand, God's commandments stand perfectly related to the works of his own hands, all of which serve a perfect purpose. It is possible, as you well know, to live for yourself, to walk your own way, to disregard God's precepts. It's possible. But to do that, is to beat up yourself against the unbreakable wall of God's truth and uprightness. It's the way of self-harm, the way of despair. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. But that all begins, notice, with our view of God. what you think about God. We might even say how much you think about God affects how you live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear God is to recognize who he is. It's to stand amazed that this great God who's both transcendent and imminent, whose name is holy and reverent, has seen fit to count me among his people and to redeem me. Fear is to stand in awe before all the great works of the Lord and count the blessings of the covenant relationship he's given us. You see, the fear of the Lord then doesn't just come from knowing about God. It comes from knowing him as our Father for Jesus' sake. It comes from knowing him as the infinitely exalted God who looks upon us and speaks of us as his people. We're his. Do you believe that? 
Do you stand in loving awe before him? Boys and girls, do you thank God for mom and dad? Do you thank him for your home and for the loving care your parents give you? Now let's stand before God. And remember, he took us into his family by adoption. He didn't have to do that. Moreover, the cost was the precious blood of his own dear son, who alone could pay the price for the guilt and sin by which we had offended that great God. Yes, God has made his wonderful works to be remembered. That we might think every day of the wonder of what he has revealed to us. That his name is Jehovah the God who's unchangeably faithful to his covenant, to the relationship that we as, he has established with us, that he is gracious and full of compassion. Let us praise him, therefore, with the whole heart. Amen. Gracious Father, we give thanks to Thee for Thy Word. We do so also by confessing our sin of ingratitude. Father, we, we so quickly lose sight of who Thou art in the tremendously blessed place Thou hast given us in Jesus Christ. Father, write thy word upon our hearts that thy name may be glorified in us and by us for Jesus' sake. Amen.